shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grace. Now it's time once again for the greatest EMS show in the world. I'm going to say it, in the world. I want to thank you for joining us again on Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero. This is the show that looks at all the things that are happening inside EMS, and we kind of bring them to you. And hopefully we do it a little entertaining. With me always is the guy, the man, the myth, the legend, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm sitting in a uh, hotel room in Jackson, Tennessee. Just finished uh, giving a couple talks at the Tennessee Emergency Preparedness Summit. So Awesome. What are you talking about? Well, I, I gave, uh, I gave a, a general address on provider mental health, saving your own life, true confessions of a clinically depressed paramedic. And then I gave a uh, talk on shooter self-care, <laughs> talking about a bunch of uh, layperson first aid stuff to uh, what turned out to be an audience of EMTs, uh, paramedics, and ER nurses. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty I'm, good, pretty good yeah, little lecture, huh? Yeah, I'm lucky they didn't fall asleep. You know, I said, uh, okay, well, you know, uh, I expected a bunch of law enforcement officers in there, and and uh, nope, very few. It was all medical people. I said, well, we're gonna have to buff this up again. War story time. <laughs> I cannot believe that people would fall asleep in a Kelly Grayson class. Well, they laughed at all the appropriate points. I don't think they learned anything because I really didn't have anything other than, you know, it was it, the, the talk was geared to lay people. Um, so we had a little conference organizers and I probably had a little uh, miscommunication on, on who our target audience would be there or a miscalculation. But it went well, well received. So we do have some news. So next week, yeah. uh, Monday starts the MS Expo. And I guess we're going to have a live event. So you want to share that live event with the folks? Yeah, man. Chris, will you'll have to. I'll be there in spirit, and you'll you'll have to pipe me in via the the wonders of modern technology. But um, we're going to be there doing a live podcast from the EMS One booth uh, on the Expo Hall floor at what 4:30 p.m. on Tuesday. That's uh, right, p.m. on Tuesday. If you're going to be around, come by. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll take your questions. We'll try to get Kelly on the big screen so we can at least yeah. see him. And uh, I think we'll have a good time, no? That's right. Heckle Chris. I don't know that uh, I would appreciate it, but uh, whatever gets you into the spirit of being at conference. So We'll see whatever, We'll see if we can sh- we can shatter your, your legendary uh, self-control. I'm going to tell you, man, it's tough. <laughs> That's really tough. All right, let's go ahead and look at In the News and uh, hit us with our first story. Uh, we've got a uh, got a story out of Kennewick, Washington. A uh, female firefighter paramedic just got a settlement from the city for six hundred thousand dollars for what she she claims was a uh, hostile work environment, discrimination, retaliation, and she she alleges that. Uh, that she was denied uh, promotional pathways and that she was um, working conditions were hostile and they think uh, she alleged uh, some gender discrimination within the department for uh, pathway uh, promotional pathways and uh, they they came to an agreement uh, both sides uh, denied any wrongdoing and she walks away with six hundred thousand dollars and agrees to resign and and is no longer a thorn in their sides so i guess you can define a good compromise as being one that's uh, mutually disagreeable to both parties and this would probably qualify for that just makes you you know wonder six hundred grand is a pretty significant figure wonder if if a municipality is willing to shell out that kind of money just just in in nuisance money just to go away 
Wow. Just just pay the person the money that's in, in you know in the job you know and it's funny that we still talk about you know discrimination hostile work environments you know in this day and age and I don't think that we give our female partners the ability to do the job that they need to do and you know on my leadership team I've got seven people I've got two guys. And yep. I've got uh, five women and th- to do an outstanding job that mm-hmm. that I, I don't know that uh, anyone else can do a better job than these, you know, than the ladies that we have working with us in our la- leadership team. But we still have that stigma, Kelly, that, oh, uh, yeah. we, you know, we, let's pass them over for something else, you know, some some old habits, you know, old attitudes die hard. And it, it, it boggles the mind that in this day and age, we still have people. Uh, and I've got colleagues. Uh, I won't call them out by name, but I've got uh, medics I've worked with and known for years who will just flat out tell you that they don't believe women belong in EMS. And I was like, <laughs> really? Do you hear that? You yes, still hear yeah, that today? I actually said this. Now, I mean, like recently or like ten years ago? No, recently. Within the, uh, not not within the last year or two, but. I can I can think of an instance, a couple of instances. Three years ago, you know, I had a, a partner who was who was small and and uh, uh, couldn't lift very well. Um, and one of the medics, you know, commiserating with me, um, basically said, "Well, I don't think women belong at EMS anyway. They just aren't cut out for it." And I said, "You know, I told him what I thought. I said, you know, as long as the as long as the provider has the physical capacity to perform the job." I could care less what gender they are. Can you do the job? That should be the only the only criteria by which you are judged. Now, having said that, you know, I've, women are physically smaller, physically weaker, but that's not a that's not an obstacle that can't be overcome. Yeah, I mean, but some and, of those some of the women that I've worked with that that fit into that category have been strong and they're able to lift their uh-huh. own, and they take pride in the fact that they oh, can yeah. carry their own weight. My, my only beef uh, about working with female partners, and I work with a lot of them, uh, has been when we, were par- when, when we were paired and our body types were so dissimilar. You know, you've got a 300-plus pound, 6-foot-2-inch six man uh, and a female partner who is, is pushing it to make it f- uh, to 5 feet, and she weighs about 90 pounds. Um, that's a problem with, with the whole loading the stretcher thing that we we have to work through but we were able to work through it uh you know I, we i've had some partners that i, I wonder I, I honestly wonder if someone doesn't didn't fake their lift test results because there was no way that they could they you know to my estimation that they actually could lift what uh what our our screening requires but apparently they made it through but when you lift a uh, stretcher into an ambulance particularly one that's got as high a floor as my unit um the height disparity between the two people on the, <clears throat> on the end of the ambulance and how high we can lift kind of makes a difference. It's it's there's a there's a uh, some adjustment you have to do uh, to make sure that you're both safe and, and taking care of each other and not uh, putting the other one in a, a position to hurt themselves. Sure. And now but we've got other than that. That's that's really the only issue. Well, eventually we're going to have stretchers that we don't even have to lift anything to get them oh, in. And in that, fact, they're out right now, man. That that Ferno NX. If you haven't seen yeah. it, go ahead and check it out. You could load that thing without even, uh, you know, yeah. just one person can do it. But Fingers. fingertip pressure. Right. Let me go ahead and bring you my story, and Let's uh, do it. this is one that probably brings a little bit of controversy. But mine goes to Brittany Maynard, who was terminally ill, and she decided to take her own life under her own terms. And I got to tell you, I applaud 
the opportunity for her to do that. Uh, you know, she's 29 years old. She moved to Oregon specifically because there's a law there that will allow terminally ill patients to end their life. And, you know, I, I applaud this. I, I'm for the the uh you know the opportunity to do this she was a young woman she was newly married uh she had the opportunity to say i'm going to go out on my own terms and and i don't know they have a problem with this story man and, and there are a lot of people who are up in arms uh that are saying that uh you know it was wrong for her to do what she did there's there's the religious component and, and many people think that suicide is a sin and i'm sure that my denomination considers suicide as a sin as well and frankly i don't care um, I believe in God, and I believe in judgment in some form or another, but it's not my place to say what another human being does with their own bodies. And, and if someone were terminally ill and the outcome was certain, the only, the only question is how they reach that outcome, uh, I'm not going to tell another person that they don't have the right to die with some dignity and, and choose the manner of their own passing. And, and when it comes my time to go, I don't want any crap from from anyone uh, if I choose that way out. Sure. You know, I've often, uh, you know, we, we joke about it, and, and my redneck buddies and I, Gunny Tribe, uh, we say, you know, if, if I ever have a, a serious debilitating disease and that's that's going to be fatal uh, before I lose all my capacity, you know, just pack me a backpack and give me a loaded rifle and, and some food and drop me off in a wilderness area that I can't walk out of and then drive away and don't look back. Just let me go. I'll do the Jeremiah Johnson exit. And I think that there are a lot of people that have that same feeling. And I want to talk a little bit about there are four states that allow physicians to give you lethal doses of uh, medication that will allow you to uh, take your own life. There's five states. It's Oregon, of course, Washington, Montana, Vermont, New Mexico. And here in Oregon, the voters approved this in 1994. And it was uh, reaffirmed with 60% of the vote in 1997. 700, and so far, since December 31st, 2013, 750 people in Oregon have used the law to die. The median age of the deceased was 71, and there were only six people that were younger than 30. If the end is certain and you know what the outcome is going to be, and the only prospect you have from that point forward is, is pain and suffering, then I would begrudge no human being the sure. right to relieve themselves of that pain and suffering, by yeah. all means. And I'm with um, you 100%. percent we got one other that, that I think you would really like. Right, let's go ahead and talk uh, about it. One more news story. We've got a story here uh, out of Falls Church, Virginia, that, that um, has a potential to greatly shape the future of EMS. And that's uh, an initiative, uh, cooperative initiative between the National Association of State EMS Officials and NHTSA to develop a comprehensive set of EMS performance measures. You know, we've been talking, we've been batting around in, in EMS circles the idea of of benchmarking and, and setting a, a, um, some realistic performance standards by, by which we judge EMS systems. Um, and it's always been the holy grail and kind of out of reach, but it seems like NHTSA and the uh, state EMS officials are actually moving toward trying to, to develop that. And I think that, um, you know, if, if we ever develop some type of benchmark by which uh, all EMS agencies can can compare themselves and, and communities can see how well they meet these benchmarks, uh, that has the, the potential to really transform uh, the face of EMS. You know, you think of this would be something uh, akin to fire ratings for fire departments. That's, that's how you judge fire departments, by their, by their uh, fire rating. 
but as of yet, there's no there's no uniform standard by which we judge the quality of an EMS system. Right. Um, you know, think about it. If you you know you go to uh, you go hat in hand to your city fathers and, and your citizens and say, hey, we need this tax millage passed uh, to support the level of care we've come to provide you. Um, a community would be able to say back, okay, well, well, what's your what's your uh, how well do you meet these benchmarks now? You know, and, and I and think yeah, and how I, is extra money going to help you meet them? Yeah, and I think that one of the things that we got to look at is, you know, you and I, we've, we've talked about the community paramedicine thing. And mm-hmm. as we move into the future, and the hospitals are doing this right now, what, what's happening in a lot of the hospitals, if you guys don't know, is that their reimbursement is being based on a couple of different things. It's being yep. based on outcomes, the patient's outcomes, and patient satisfaction. So now think about that. You and I, we go, you know, Kelly, we're, we're, we're good patients, right? So we call our doctor for a for a uh, prescription refill. And they tell us, come see us two weeks from Friday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, we're good patients, right? So we get there at 1240. And then at 1.10, we're still sitting there. And 1.30, we're still sitting there. And then finally, they call us back to that little room. And then we sit in that little room for another 20 minutes, only to see our doctor for about five minutes to get that prescription refilled. What type of satisfaction is that going to be? And that's how reimbursement is going to start happening. Yeah. It's trickling down from the hospitals. Yeah. It's going to the doctor's office. It's coming to EMS. So if we're not talking about patient outcomes, if we're not talking about patient satisfaction, and if we're not able to show the metrics that we're doing a good job, that is going to negatively affect the reimbursement that we're going to get from payers. All payers, not just CMS, but all our payers. And when we think about this national initiative uh, to establish these performance measures, this is exactly what we need to do for the future of EMS, for patient care, for patient outcomes, and for a future of our reimbursement. Be, be proactive and, and, and arrive at these performance measures you know, ourselves uh, rather than have someone impose artificial performance measures upon us. You know, I, yeah, you're right. Paper pay for performance or uh is here and it's already trickling down and it's only going to uh become more pronounced as as healthcare resources become more finite and and reimbursement becomes becomes an issue and, and they start having to to ration the money that uh, that they spend or or try to spend it more wisely i don't agree however with with patient satisfaction scores being a driving measure for for performance and i think that's i think you talk to anyone who works in a hospital emergency department and they will you know they will curse the name press gainy uh until the end of their dying days because medicine ultimately should not the provision of quality medical care should not be a popularity contest right you know and and that's basically what it is press gainy does not measure whether the the medical providers actually provided clinically appropriate care it's all about how warm and fuzzy the patient felt about the experience and i'm sorry you know if you go to emergency department and and you and the thing is the people who are the biggest uh you know I won't say abusers of the systems, but the most inappropriate users of the systems are almost often the most vocal ones to complain. Right. Uh, if they didn't get their their narcotics for their dubious complaint, or they didn't want their a long term didn't get a long term script for their meds taken care of, or they didn't understand the triage process and and realize that just because their minor complaint didn't get seen right away because there were fifteen sick people ahead of them, they complain. And hospital administrators pay 
you know, undue attention to that sort of metric. Uh, they, they focus on all the wrong things because that affects their bottom line more right. than obviously providing clinically appropriate care. That system is way, way skewed the wrong way. But it's coming. And yeah, I got to tell you, man, how to deal with it. being part of a hospital-based system now, and it, they do things totally different than you do in a standalone EMS or a third city mm-hmm. service. But one of the educations that I've gotten is what's keeping hospital administrators up at night. And when we think about the performance measures that they have to now achieve to get that reimbursement you know nowadays it's it's fee for service right guys you go out there you pick somebody up you put them on your stretcher you document it the billing office sends out a bill that's not the way it's fee for for transport and that's you know that's what we need to get away from as well exactly but now it's going to be if you didn't do anything for that patient to help their condition we're not going to be getting any money so how do we show that how do we make that work to say that we did a good job and we took this patient to the hospital there's going to be the days and i'm going to tell you it's coming that we're not going to take people to the hospital because they have knee pains and uh, if you're not doing that already in your system uh, it's coming so this is a very interesting story and a lot of this a lot of this stuff where we you know we do dubious things to patients because if it only saves one life if it only helps one person it's worth it no it's not (laughs) It's not worth it, and you're not going to get reimbursed for it. This has been an interesting news day, and and for the sake of time, we probably should move on. Let's go ahead and talk about our clinical issue. And a couple weeks ago, you and I had the opportunity to chat about putting cameras in the back of the box, and you were not a big fan of it, and I kind of took the stance of I think it's needed. Now, one of the things that I want to try to talk, and one of the questions that I asked you was, do we need to start wearing body cameras like the police officers do, and you kind of took the spin to say we don't have that that liability that we would need to do that. And you and I had the discussion about the folks out in Glendale, Arizona. They had a postictal patient. The patient became a little bit violent, and the fire department they went ahead and restrained them, and restrained the gentleman. And there was some uh, uh, verbal altercations with the citizens that were around, and we we really don't know where this 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 you know, this call went to, but I got to ask you the question now, do we need to go back to thinking about having cameras outside the ambulance or again, to wear the cameras for these types of situations? I mean, here are some firefighters. They're trying to assist a patient who's postictal. And, and Kelly, you and I have both been there uh, for these patients. We're in their home. That they, they don't know what's going on. Even for hypoglycemia, that they've got blood sugar of 30 and all they do is see strangers in their home and, and they're trying to defend themselves. And we're trying to keep them safe. We're trying to keep us safe. But in situations like this, does it help us now that we have body cameras that we're wearing or a camera to the external to the ambulance that we can kind of video what we're doing for our own uh, purposes of keeping ourselves safe? Yeah, I um, in this situation, it could certainly be useful information to determine whether these, these uh, four Glendale firefighters behaved inappropriately. But I can tell you one thing, judging from their demeanor and their behavior on the uh, uh, eyewitnesses' cell phone camera, uh, and the way they were behaving themselves, I get a distinct impression that their body cameras, had they been wearing them, would have malfunctioned and not recorded the incident. Because quite frankly, that, that was some pretty egregious, inexcusable behavior on the part of some firefighters. They didn't restrain this guy. They dealt a, they dealt a beat down on him. You can look at his, his uh, photo, and he's got a puffy face. He looks like he's been in a prize fight. And whether, whether or not you agree with, you know, no EMS provider deserves uh, or should expect to be assaulted. There's no excuse for it. Um, on the other hand, if you've got a 
patient who's drug overdosed or is post-dictal after a seizure following an overdose of sleeping pills, as this gentleman apparently was, you, you have to ask a serious question. Is this guy, you know, does he have the present mental capacity to understand what he's doing? Have you been ever, ever been kicked or hit by a post-dictal seizure patient or someone who was, who was uh, you know, so intoxicated or drugged up that they, they didn't really know what they were, what they were doing? Of course. Ever happened to you? Yeah, of course. Did, did you retaliate and do a beatdown on them? No, I or did, did not. You get away from the, or did you get away from the scene or try to restrain them professionally until you could uh, render further care without danger to yourself or your patient? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is I've always tried to, you know, to me, I've always tried to restrain more than I've tried to get away because that patient needs me there and I need to try to deliver the best care that I can. But, you know, here's the thing, and I don't know that, you know, I think emotions get into this thing and, and it causes a lot of challenges. But, you know, the, the, here's a gentleman that was postictal. He wound up punching his dad in the face, it says in the article. And then he turned his rage towards the firefighters when they told him to stop, punching firefighters multiple times in their face. As we start to get more emotional, I, I think we forget the fact that this is a, a guy who's postictal. He may not have all his faculties. And these guys aren't trained in self-defense. No. The, these guys aren't trained in in uh, to be combatants. These guys are trained to put the wet stuff on the red stuff. And when now you're trying to protect your team and these emotions start to get involved, is it really their fault that they acted the way that they did? I mean, when you think about fight or flight, they're in a situation now where, and I'm, and I'm not trying to justify the behavior, but I think what we need to understand is an emotionally charged situation like this how does that affect their decision making my rule number one is never allow your emotions to dictate your actions if you drop your pants and you have to show your ass you you've lost already and well, we and, need to and they allow their their emotions to dictate their actions but how do we how do we now you know we talk about you know cameras and, and body cameras being on or, or an external camera on each side of the ambulance or something that we now have to start thinking about we're always being videoed we're always being recorded and we need to act accordingly but Artsia does a great article EMS must act professional even when a camera isn't rolling and I think some of this has to go into this as well Kelly Art is art is correct, and as as the old saying goes, character is the way you behave when no one's watching. And it's obvious that that uh, emotions were running high in this incident. However, I think as as firefighters, EMTs, police officers, we are placed uh, in we are endowed with a higher degree of public trust than your average citizen, and it behooves us to behave. Uh, a little better than your average citizen. I wouldn't, you know, if I were, you know, John Q. Public and, and someone jumped me and, and I would judge or, or jumped a friend of mine and he retaliated and, and, and fought back, I'd judge him with a little different standard than I would judge uh, a, a more lax standard than I would, say, a cop who was assaulted or a firefighter who was assaulted by a patient who possibly didn't know what he was doing. I think we are rightfully so held to a higher standard, and these guys didn't meet that standard. Uh, it's pretty obvious if you if you watch the video. There's not a whole lot of the the neighbor didn't catch the punches thrown in the video, but the whole thing uh, screaming at the top of your lungs and dropping the f bomb every every other word and threatening to sue people. I'm gonna own every. I'm gonna have everything you have. You're dead meat, buddy. You don't hit us and get away with it. And that kind of stuff. That that wasn't defense. That was retaliation. And and it, 
defending yourself is one thing. Retaliating is another. And it's pretty, yeah. it looks to me like this guy was retaliated against. And I understand you take a shot, you know, somebody punches you and your first instinct is to punch back. This goes back to, to uh, Kip T. Sort's class where, you know, he teaches you, you know, the, the appropriate, uh, gives you the appropriate tools to handle that sort of aggression appropriately and not go overboard with right. it. Um, but in the but in the absence like of the, but in the absence of that, and you and I both agree that Kip's course is the uh, gold standard for EMS, and we think every EMS agency should utilize that you know that course and, and bring it in there. And I'm sure Kip would be happy to to uh, teach you his stuff. But again, in an emotionally charged situation, and we're not trained to deal with those emotions, that's something that overtakes our our, our judgment. And regardless of who you are, uh, you know, I've been trained and my background is I have black belt in Taekwondo. I've got a black belt in Hapkido. I've got a brown belt in Arnis, which is Philippine stick fighting. I've been trained to handle those situations and know how I react in those situations. But in the absence of that, uh, emotion is is something that's very, very strong that's going to uh, take you over that line sometimes. Yeah, you tend to overreact. The less training you have, uh, the, the less measured a response uh, you're capable of. So, yeah, lack of training usually results in an overreaction to that sort of threat. You know, still, they call us to scenes expecting us to help. We are the good guys. Regardless of whether the guy wailed on you or not and, and you defending yourself hit him back, don't continue to be a jerk on video or, or or not on video for that matter. If you want to be treated like the good guys, act like the good guys in public. So let's go back to the initial question. Do we need to think about body cameras for our EMTs and paramedics? Uh, Yeah. Let's see where you are with this one now. Cause I brought this up two weeks ago and you said, and you jumped on it like it was a freaking, uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody who hadn't eaten in a week and they were looking at a steak. No, I, I, I still don't think this, this incident is enough to warrant body cameras. Tell me why. Tell me, tell me why that is. A couple reasons because I want to give. I want to give you a couple reasons first the why I think we should. One, it's going to ensure professionalism. Two, the liability of the people who are treating us with disrespect and who are going to call to say, your guys were rude. Well, you know what? I, I got proof that they weren't rude. And I think we have to finally get to that point where we stop being beaten by our patients, we're stop being abused by their patients, and I think we need to have something arbitrary that's a that's a third person watching that helps our crews say, I didn't do anything wrong. You want that you want that camera as a disinterested observer. And 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 I can understand that. But well, I'll go back to my original point that fundamentally the interaction between EMS and patients is not the same as law enforcement. We're not you know the the we're not by nature uh, in a confrontational relationship with our patients. We're there to help, and and police officers' interaction with the general public is is usually considered adversarial. It's a shame that that uh, that has become that way in modern policing, uh, and they've they've kind of gotten away from the princi- uh, principles of Sir Robert Peel. But that's the reality of of uh, modern police forces. A lot that uh, you know everybody's a potential assailant, but. You, you want to know how to assure professionalism? When four firefighters retaliate and, and give your department a black eye on full video released to, released to the media, you fire them. 
that's how you get professionalism. Well, here's and another thing, it, and you make it known that the poor, the four people they fire, uh, they hire to replace them, that that sort of thing is unacceptable behavior. There's one thing. Look, it's one thing looking out for your brother firefighters and having their back, and defending them. It's another thing in retaliating, and I think that's what went on here. They here's a, here's another point I want to bring up to all, all the uh, providers that are out there as well, Kelly. When you watch the video. One or two of the firefighters make mention to the gentleman with the video to turn off his camera, turn off his video. And, and the guy who's shooting the video says very, very well, I have a right to do this. And they do. And you only look like a jerk if you try to tell them to shut it off. So you lose that. You will lose that battle every time. You're right. And there is case law that says that they have the opportunity to do that. We have to be able to now, in these world of, of cameras, know that we're always going to be recorded, we're always going to be videotaped. And they have the right, when I say they, the people who are videotaping us, have the right to do so, and we've got no recourse. It's not a HIPAA thing, it's not a patient confidentiality. Exactly. It's not, they have their, in, in the common areas... There in is the street, no expectation of privacy in a public area. Exactly, and we have to know that you know there are going to be people that are recording us. There are going to be people that are videotaping us, and we got to do our job better and cleaner than the next guy because it's that one time that you know we throw a punch at somebody, and oh by the way, here's the video that goes with that, or it's the the first time that we tell somebody who's who mentions that they're going to kill our family. I know where you live. I'm going to come kill your family. Well, really, I'm going to go ahead and inject you in the neck right now with this uh, lidocaine. Um, you know, it's only a matter of time that before that shows up on a video. And we can't yep. fall into those traps. No, we can't. And, and that's, you know, I, I don't worry about being videoed. That, that's the last thing on my mind. If, if news crews or John Q. Citizen wants to, wants to pull out their, their cell phone camera and record whatever I'm doing, you know, all I ask is you, you know, give me a flattering camera angle and, and you know, whatever you can i know the camera's going to add 30 pounds that i can't afford anyway um but uh at least you know try to blur out my butt crack if that happens to show when i bend over otherwise i could care less about being videoed because i'd conduct myself as a professional in public and that's all that's necessary right um if you do those things whether you're being filmed by a third party or whether you're being filmed for your own protection, the camera's a moot point uh, if you're practicing professionalism. I agree with you 100%. And it sounds like we got a clinical issue. We do. There's some, some good information uh, from our, our uh, fellow EMS uh, columnist, The Legal Guardian. Check out David's thoughts on five pros and cons to cameras on ambulances. He approaches the issue with a uh, uh, pretty even hand um, and, and uh, points out all the uh, all the, the factors that, that um, shape whether we'll put ambulance uh, cameras on ambulances or not. Uh, it's good reading. Yeah, I think you're right. So I think we had a really good show. For the sake yeah. of time, we're going to pass on our guest table, and we'll go ahead and keep that segment for the next show. And uh, remember, we're going to be at EMS Expo on Tuesday. Come by the EMS One booth. Uh, Kelly, another great show, man. I'm going to give you the reins and uh, give us the ending, and let's get out of here. Man, it was a great show, and, and uh, love debating with you. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm still right, and you're still wrong. But just uh, it, You're just incorrigible. We, this is true, but uh, we, we'd like to hear what you think. So give us a shout at the show at ems1.com. And as always, for Chris Sevalero and myself, thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week.